Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crappy Christian. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. T.I., hi, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Thank you for having me today. So this is a first for both of us because you are my first fiction author guest and this is your first podcast interview. I'm pretty honored to be your first. <laughs> I know. I When I was talking to your, your publisher about it, she was asking if I interviewed fiction authors and I my thought was, well, I haven't, but that not on purpose, not because I don't want to. So I'm really excited to get to have a conversation about your book Under the Magnolias and talk about the fiction writing process and the emotions that go into it, as well as, you know, what the heart behind it is. So to get us started, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about your book, Under the Magnolias. Well, when I began this whole publishing thing, I thought it would be super um, cool to go by my initials. So I, I go by T.I. Lowe, but I'm Tanya. Um, I answer to Tanya, to Tila, to mom, to yo woman, <laughs> short stuff, whoever it is, I answer to it. So, but um, I am the CEO of the Low Household. <laughs> yes. I've always been a stay-at-home mom. That was um, my son Nathan. Now is eight, nineteen, and he is at uh, Charleston Southern University studying medicine. And my daughter is Lydia Lowe. We call her Lydia Lou. Um, oh. She's fourteen, and she's a freshman this year. And I've been married for tw- almost 24 years. Wow. To my best buddy, Mr. Bernie. He puts up with me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I just, I get to be a daydreamer and a storyteller. And I somehow managed to make that into a living. So I'm, I'm super stoked about that. I love it. I love it that you get to write stories for a living. It's, I mean, that is the dream. So t- mm-hmm. for people who aren't familiar with your with your book, Under the Magnolias, tell us, just kind of give us the elevator pitch of it. Oh, gosh. You know, that's the hardest thing. I could sit mm-hmm. here and tell you about someone else's book all day long and how, you know, I could I could really. In a sentence, probably. Right. But I was like, it's Under the Magnolias and I wrote it. <laughs> 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 but uh, um, that, that came from a place where. Um, I saw all these headlines. It was back in 2019 of, you know, uh, leader leaders in the community. And a lot of them were church leaders and they were committing suicide. And it just mm. seemed like every time I, I, I pulled up news feeds or I pulled up Facebook, there was another headline. And it just really bothered me that, you know, we're, we're living in a time where if you should be able to talk about it, if you're going through struggles, you should be able to reach out for help if you're battling mental illness and people still feel like they have to hide it. And that's so sad. And so I started doing some research on it and one thing led to another because um, the main character, Austin in the book, she is, and this is set in the eighties. So there's no cell phones and there's no Google. 
you know, when I want to understand something, I Google it. Well, when right. Austin wants to understand something, she gets on a bike and goes down to the library and she asks mm-hmm. the um, librarian to help her out. But that we share that quality. I want to understand something that I, when I don't. And so uh, that through the research of that book, you know, the whole what was going on, uh, it, it kept coming back to bipolar disorder. And so mm. uh, the whole book pretty much revolves around the father, Dave Foster, and his battle, which was manic depression in the 80s, because, you know, right. I, mental illness isn't hard enough to write about. I had to put it in the 80s and write it in the 80s <laughs> perspective. Just but, give yourself um, a little extra, well, a couple of extra hurdles to jump there. Quite a challenge. So that, that was just me trying to understand something and a lot. And, you know, we talked about the difference between nonfiction and fiction. I use my fiction writing as my outlet to understand things, to explore mm. topics that I don't get. And so um, this is their, the whole family's uh, journey of uncovering, hiding the, the mm. whole um, mental illness of their father. So, yeah. Of course, there's you gotta have all kinds of um, nifty side characters and right a little bit of romance and all that fun stuff. So, well, and it's so interesting that you wrote it in the '80s when thing or you know you said it in the '80s when things were very hush hush and we didn't talk about it. And did you find in your research that much has changed in that aspect? Uh, like treatment wise has changed. Right. Yes, very much. Treatments have changed. The medicines have come a long way. Um, in, in the book, once they finally get over the hurdle of uh, hiding, it was this whole journey of trying to find what what medicines would work for her father and then what type of facility. Uh, he ended up in a nursing home for a while because mm. there was just no, the people didn't know how to, I guess, treat it as they mm-hmm. do today but yeah so the treatment has definitely i mean even honestly in my lifetime treatment has changed and and come so far and the medication options are they're less life impacting in a negative way so i the, the reason that your publicist reached out with your book is cuz i talk super openly about my own mental illness and and struggles with mental health and so i've had diagnosed uh, generalized anxiety disorder since I was about 17 and then uh, major depressive disorders about the same time. And then I also struggle with PTSD. So all the fun things. So I've been on some form of medication since I was about 18 and it's even just in, gosh, how old am I? 15 years ish of, of taking medication, I've gotten to experience them changing. And now, you know, rather than, okay, you can take something, it'll make you feel less crazy, but here's the side effects and weighing if it's worth it. Yeah. They've really done a lot of work to kind of remove a lot of those really negative side effects just with as science has progressed. But as you were talking about when you, when you were first explaining it, the, you know, experiencing these pastors and these mega Christian voices taking their own lives because they were struggling in secret. It's just crazy to me that, that that was an issue in the eighties. It was an issue a hundred years from then. And it's an issue today in 2020. Definitely. And did you, so in your research 
of looking at how people dealt with it in the 80s and now did you find a lot of similarities yes and the thing about i said in the 80s and the difference of it is today's there's so much noise you know you got social media you have everybody weighing in on everything going on and back in the 80s and they were this is set in rural south carolina in the 80s on a farm so they were sort of isolated and they you know, everybody, everybody want in your business, so, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. So I, I like the concept of putting it in the eighties to, to take that noise out. So hopefully yes. people that are struggling with it now, they're like, they can lit, you know, they can see, they can hear more of it. They can hear what, what yeah. the message is of that story. And then it's still, yeah. you know, they're like, well, if they're hiding in the eighties, this was going on and now they're, Either the community reached out to help them through it and they, you know, they began talking about it. Maybe I can do it too. Yeah. I love that. So we've talked about that you did research. I want to hear a little bit about the research process for writing a fiction novel, like, and especially with this subject matter, what that looked like. Well, before I began writing, I've always, and I didn't start writing until I was 38. I waited quite a while because I was in that mentality, I'm not good enough, not good enough, can't do it, blah, blah, blah. And God pretty much said, um, hello, I am. So, yes. yeah. Amen. Uh, stop it, ma'am. <laughs> Amen. And so, um, Pat Conroy, he wrote a book, uh, My Writing, My Reading Life, I believe it's the title of it. And there was a quote in there, and I'm probably going to get it just a little bit wrong, but it, in the gist of it, he said, with, with writing fiction, it doesn't have to be 100% reality, but it has to sound like it. Mm-hmm. So I'm always very careful, even though it's fiction, I mean, it's, it needs to be relevant. And I write women's fiction, Southern fiction, um, inspirational. So I feel like I have a job, even though it's fiction, that I better get that message right. It began, I, a friend of mine, she, her church uses this media site. It's called Right Now Media. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm, no, I haven't. Oh, I didn't either. And I was telling her, I said, um, I, I remember we sat by the pool the summer of 2019 at her house. And I said, you know, my, my heart's heavy with this. I need, I need to, to explore it. I need to find out what's going on. And she said, well, my church, it, you know, they have that media. And I think everybody, the members had the link. So she sent me the link because there was a whole series of church um, leaders and their families and what they were going through with um, hiding mental illness. And some of them Mm. had committed suicide. So it was the family's um, Mm. part, you know, their story, their side of it. And some had survived their attempt to suicide and how they just felt like, you know, here I am, I'm supposed to be God's chosen leader of this church. And I, I, you know, I didn't feel like I could reach out to anyone. And I, man, that just broke my heart. You know, to me, you know, I lost my mom to cancer and we went through treatments. I mean, if she had cancer, we didn't sit back and hide it. We went and she right. got treatment. Mm-hmm. And to me, mental health is just, you know, mental illness is just like cancer. It does not care who it has right. no prejudices on nope. who it attacks. And so that if anything else, the message is if you have cancer, you go get treatment. If you have mental illness, go get you some treatment. Amen. Because we, you know, we all struggle with, and if you lived through 2000, uh, 2020, I'm sure everyone had some sort of mental fatigue. 
And we yeah. had, there was days I, I, I had to talk to my friend about it and like, you know, the walls are caving in and, and you know, we had, I had someone I knew I could talk to about it. And even the right. research of this book, it got really heavy some days because there were, there were stories that the parent person didn't survive. And I, you know, the, the family and a personal aspect of it, um, I was in my late twenties we had my husband's aunt committed suicide and you were left with all these what ifs, you know, cause the day before I had almost picked up the phone to call her and I didn't, I'm like, what if I had called, you know, mm-hmm. you know, if I, I could have changed the outcome and all that, you know, the, the family is just there. It's a burden. I don't feel, I don't think they'll ever have a, any closure for. So mm-hmm. there were some pretty heavy research days. And I remember, um, my friend that we run, I run with three days a week in the mornings. And she told me, she says, Tanya, today you need to do research on something else. Take mm-hmm. a step back yeah, or just stay, go away from your computer, go do something with your family, you know? And I had that, I have that person I can talk to. And I, I just hope that the message will get out there that finds you that person to talk to too. Yeah. Because even though you were doing good work and important work towards something that you were passionate about, it still was heavy. Yeah. You know, there, I think sometimes we think of our, we think of negative impacts to our mental health as only negative things where doing the things that God has called you to do can be heavy and those oh, can yeah. be burdensome. Walk, walking through this year, it has been hard and has been heavy. and we're huge proponents here at the private Christian for counseling and finding somebody that you can talk with honestly and openly. And even if it's not a counselor, just having a friend, like you're saying, especially that will speak that truth back to you that will say, put it down. Mm -hmm. I have friends like that for me, just with social media in general, my husband will say, Hey, we need to put it away. It's, (laughs) it's, sucking your brain dry. Let's take a break. Okay, if you are a creative or a small business owner or you're in direct sales, you need to listen up because my course, Run Your Race, opens for registration on January 19th. The course only opens three times a year, so you're not going to want to miss it. And it is essentially a five-hour brain dump of all of the things that I have learned, the things that I have done wrong and had to learn how to do correctly to go from where I started two years ago to where I am today, being able to quit my full-time job and do this full-time, but it is all from a scripturally-based, non-hustle, non-self-centric place, and it is teaching you to use your gifts to the glory of God and to run your race well. So if you are interested, if you want more information, you can head to crappychristianco.com slash course. It's also linked in the show description and you can get on the wait list. You can find out about the free masterclass. You can learn about the new optional affiliate marketing bonus module. All the things live there. Crappychristianco.com slash course. Okay, let's get back to the show. I think that the opportunity to also be that in someone else's life. We're so afraid of hurting people's feelings that we like tiptoe around Yeah, those things where like that is love to me. And I know mm-hmm. that that like, I'm sure that felt like love to you mm-hmm. that someone said you need to take a break from this. And yeah. so we have the opportunity to be that for other people too. Yeah. Cause sometimes you even know you need that break and you know, you might need to get some help. 
but you won't do it. So someone telling you to do it is almost like, well, that's your permission. Yes. To do it. Um, there was uh, one of the questions I had to do a Q and a um, recently about the book and it wanted to know what I wanted people to walk away from with it. And I, I said, I hope someone dealing with mental health will find their voice. Mm-hmm. And I hope those that are surrounding them find their ears. Ooh. That's good. <laughs> That's yeah. That I have an episode. It's a really early episode. Uh, and it, I can't remember the exact title, but it's about like for like when you can't ask for help. Oh yeah. And that so often the people that are struggling, you know, once you come out of it, the people around you are like, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you, you know, ask for help? And so often we can't, we're so deep in the hole that we can't put our arm out. We need somebody to like look in the hole and say, oh shoot, let me help you get out of there. And sometimes that looks like listening for things that people aren't even saying, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that we, you know, you were talking earlier about the noise. Life is so noisy and there's so much input that sometimes I think we're missing the important noise, the important mm-hmm. input from the people that we love. Uh, so some of the common themes that we've kind of touched on this a little bit of the book are community and connectiveness. I know you were saying that the, their, you know, their small rural town comes around them and the impact that those things can have. How do you hope those like specific parts of the book impact the reader? So a fun thing you'll find in your, um, in the book and in the opening chapter, it'll tell you, it's, um, it'll tell you about the first riffraff of Magnolia. You know how you have like your first Baptist church, your first Presbyterian, first Methodist. And this is the first, they, the town has dubbed Dave Foster's little, um, church you know they meet in the chapel on the farm but they they've dubbed them the first riffraff of magnolia well, and they're yeah. a ragtag group of people and um i don't i don't like labels i feel like if god wanted us all to be exactly the same he would have made carbon copies he's mm-hmm. made us all different there that should be celebrated it shouldn't be shunned upon you know um so you have this crazy you know, a group of people, you have your flamboyant funeral director, Morty, you have the town drunk that was accused of murder. And this was a a individual side character I spent quite a bit of time on. Uh, Her name is Miss Wise, and she is a Holocaust survivor. Oh, wow. And that, but they call her an atheist believer. And so you'll get to meet her story. And each one of these will impact, you know, they, they're very individualized and there's Foxy and Jinx. They're from Louisiana oh. and they miss, um, Foxy, they call her a witch doctor, which she is not, but you know, the labels again, just cause she's different. Right. But, um, each one of these will impact Austin's journey, her coming of age journey. And mm-hmm. it, it's a, a beautiful community. Like, you know, we like to, as a society, write off those that are a little bit different than us, mm-hmm. but um, they're the ones that really shine through with the community aspect. Yeah, and that they are the kind of ragtag group that I, those are my favorite people. We were talking yeah. a little bit before we started recording about 
signing book deals and being afraid that publishing houses were going to want to change your voice and that, you know, rough around the edges and a little bit different, maybe not a part of the mainstream, you know, Christian female box. Those are my favorite people. <laughs> Those are the people who show up for me the most consistently. Mm-hmm. And I think that we we do ourselves such a great disservice, almost like undesirables. Like when we brush those away, we're missing out on some incredible stories and some people who have walked through the fire yes. that w- we can learn from. And each one of those, you know, they have that label. That's the first thing people see is that label on them. Like the flamboyant um, guy of the neighborhood, the, the uh, witch doctor, the, you know, they, and they're, these are not, they're like, you know, they are, so much behind that label, people are missing out. Those are the ones, those are the people in my community I want to know more about. Yes. Because it, you know, those that, that are just all that perfect on the, on the label, they're boring. (laughs) (laughs) Reach. They are so boring. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that that's like, quote unquote, safe is, appealing to some people but I don't think that it's fair to rob yourself and other people of the experience of like that ragtag group of people that are going to come together and love you well um so to close I want to talk a little bit about the main character just really quick so Austin Foster what what was it like creating her and like what drew you to put her together and bring her to life I don't know (laughs) (laughs) She, now she is, um, there is, there's a seven children all together in the foster family mm-hmm. and she is the oldest daughter and she, there's one older than her, but he has a mental handicap. So she feels like she is the one that has to hold the whole family together. Mm-hmm. And I am, a I am that type. I'm the fixer of the family and I have to, I've always felt like, you know, I wanted to hold it all together and. Mm-hmm. Um, like going back to my late teens, my parents went through a bad divorce and then it, it went on into my, my early twenties. And through that, I did suffer depression. I had to go get some help, anxiety attacks. Um, but my label on the outside, I was trying to make it look perfect still. Mm -hmm. And Austin tried to make all that look perfect. She tried to keep it hidden, what was going on with their dad. And she's always making excuses. Oh, he's sick again. He's got a bad headache. He's got a stomach virus. You can't come out today because, you know, bipolar, Dave had his up days. He had his down days. Right. And um, So she felt like that protector. And so she, she was interesting to, and she was very curious. She's, and I, that was another quality that I gave her that's mine. Like if she wanted to understand something, she would go to the library and she would ask uh, the librarian to look up uh, a certain book. So, you know, each time she went to the library in the book to ask, um, like embalming, because she she went and she spent some time at the funeral home with Morty. And so I looked up a whole day of <laughs> embalming. Yeah. <laughs> and because, you know, if you don't know something, you need to go and search it. I Mine, you know, I hit the Google button. So it was a lot right. easier for me. But um I like that about her. She wanted, she yeah. had um, a curiosity that was uh, innocent and naive a bit because she was on the farm. And I thought mm-hmm. it was fun to explore things through her more innocent eyes to understand. 
Like I love she that. goes in one day, she sees um Miss Helena's tattoo on her arm and she goes in and she asks the librarian to look up tattoos because she didn't know that it was her numbers on her arm. <gasps> oh. But then the, t- the librarian said, I know, I think I know what type of tattoo you're wanting to find out about. I like, I, and I hope people walk away with the, you know, if you don't understand something, educate yourself, go find yeah. out about it. Research about it. Read a book rather than Googling it even. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I love getting to talk to somebody that's just created a, you know, a story and a world and a life that's rooted in reality, but that's also something that you got to create. So tell people where they can find and follow you and where they can get a copy of Under the Magnolias. I am on pretty much all the social media sites, Instagram, on the Instagram and the, the Instagram. Facebook, because I'm <laughs> older, so that's, I have to put a the in front of it. Um, <laughs> But it's all T-I-L-O, my initials. Okay. Uh, you can find Tyndall House Publishers. Of course, you can find the books there. Amazon, of course. Um, Barnes and Nobles, all those great sites. But I will okay. say one thing. Tyndall House is great. If you go to their site and you pull me up on it, it'll tell you every store that you can go to to find that book. Oh, perfect. And yeah, they handle that for you in a little a little box. Yeah. Um, I have a website, T-I-L-O.com. That you can go there and check out. In the first page of the on my website, it's all about the magnolias. Um, I just received an endorsement quote from Miss Francine Rivers. <gasps> no big deal. No, no big deal. She's my buddy. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So I put that quote on there and yeah. just give everybody a little bit more information about the book. And I write a little blog. You know, it's just my my country take on things. Like one of my favorite blogs is I am flawed. <laughs> so yeah. first, it says, I ain't perfect. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. There's just stuff like that. I just write a yeah. few thoughts, nothing, nothing too heavy, but maybe a few ahas will, will come in there. Yeah. I, have, I like, um, me personally, I, life is heavy, so I, I got to have a laugh. And so I, I like to put a lot of humor in things. You'll find, even though Under the Magnolias is a pretty heavy topic for a book, wove in some humor along the way. So I hope. Um, people appreciate that. Yeah, if people are looking for a good a good fiction read, definitely grab this. I love. That's actually almost exclusively what I read now because for so long I read only nonfiction because I I was interviewing, and so I've recently given myself permission to start reading some lighter, more fun, and it's just I just love it. It's just nice to escape a little bit. And, and I love, yeah, I'm a huge reader. Um, I rather have a book in my hand than uh, watch TV mm-hmm. because that, to me, I can still, my mind can still wander with a, a TV show, but with a book, I really have to invest and create yeah. that world in my mind while I'm reading. And the thing about fiction, and I, you know, nothing against nonfiction because I have a whole several bookshelves around me that you can't see, it's behind me or behind you. <laughs> Um, with nonfiction and self-help and, but the thing about fiction is it takes us out of it. The word us. Yes. And you learn a lot of lessons from fiction, even. Yes. That is so true. Sometimes it's nice to just immerse yourself in something that's not about you. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. We'll definitely link to everything in your show description so people can find the book and follow you and all that kind of stuff. 
Well, thank you for letting me come on here and jabber jaw. I feel like I have stuttered and, and rambled and everything else. <laughs> no, it's been so great. I loved it. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week.